Test one, two. Am I good? Okay, good. Uh, well, good morning, everybody. Um, thanks for rolling with us. I also am not clear as to whether our air conditioners are working or not, so uh, I tried to... I mean, what are the chances all three would go out? <laughs> what did you say, Barry? We got the... Nothing can stop us now? Yeah. Um, what great songs, man. Like, <laughs> they pretty much preach what I'm about to read in Scripture. Um, and, it, and it continues on with the same thing that we've been talking about, right? That God's been talking about in Romans 9. That, that, that God is sovereign and God is love. And, and how those things play is for us to watch and to witness and we can sit there and sing unstoppable God, impossible things, you know. And then, and then we sing, I always forget the words, but, you know, and then we sing like, like I won't be afraid. And I know, I, I know you got me, right? Like, I, don't, I don't know what the last song, not the last song, but, you know, it, it's like it's this constant back and forth of us navigating what it is to have a sovereign God. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a it should be a humbling thing, but it's also a joyous thing and a thing that gives us confidence to know that God loves us and he's sovereign. Those are two things that, that, uh, that give us an unshakable faith. So let me, let me start by praying, and then we're going to open up to Romans chapter 9 uh, and read through, starting in verse 22. Let me start by praying. Father, we thank you for this time. We lift you up, Father. We ask that you would make yourself known this morning that, um, that we would see you more clearly, that we would know you better, that we would take confidence in you, that we would trust in you, that we would see your hand working in ways that are unfathomable to us, that we would trust that your hands are working when it doesn't look like they are. God, we trust you and we love you and we want to see you be glorified and we look forward to the day we are in your presence. We pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to read through. The, the verses won't be on the screen uh, for this initial part and then as we, as we roll through it, uh, they will be. But uh, I'm going to read Romans chapter 9, verse 22 through 29. And this kind of took a little bit of heat because I kind of broke up the last sermon, like right kind of in the middle of a thought. But I don't think it is. I, I mean, it is, but it, it's, there's a reason. Um, so here's verse 22. He says, Paul says, What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people, and her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Some hard stuff in there. Let's start at the end, and then we're going to work our way back up. The Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. I think we all know what happened with Sodom and Gomorrah. Wiped out. Obliterated. Paul is pointing to God's mercy here. That God sovereignly chose to love and be merciful. And so this is, this is where Paul is getting to as he's walking through this sovereignty and love and navigating these things, he gets to the end and he says, we should have been wiped out. 
It should have been gone. But it's God that was merciful to us. All right. So we're going to continue to hold fast to those truths, right? So like I said, as we walk through this discussion of election and how God is working in, this, in the world sovereignly and lovingly, we try to figure out what that means and how does that actually apply. We, we just sang this verse in Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God... All things work together for good. You know what that does not say? Does not say that for those who love God, only good things happen. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, I don't know if it's, I mean, you know, we got back from vacation. I, I went on vacation. I checked out. And uh, I'm like, all right, Brian, you got it. <laughs> like, text me if there's an emergency, if something's on fire, if somebody's, you know, like, but you got it. You can pray to the same God I'm praying to, you know, and I'm going to take some time off. I, I'll tell you, I, I came back and, man, like, and it was kind of this, like, there's a lot. There's a lot going on. Like, like not, not in my own, like, Yes, in my life, but also in, in your lives, in the lives around me, people at work and people here. And, and it's really crappy stuff, not good stuff, stuff that you look at and you're like, it's, it's exhausting. It's a lot. And you guys are going through a lot. All of us are. I mean, at different times in our lives, right? Like, like sometimes everything's firing on all cylinders. We're like, oh, yeah. Life's great, right? Coconuts and rainbows and unicorns and and then it's not. Do you not like coconuts? Sorry, uh, I like coconuts. It's a picture, an island. <laughs> but it's not like that a lot. It's not. It's sickness. It's illness. It's accidents. It's it's financial. It's it's all of those things. And we look at it, and, and, and it's like, what do we do? What do we do? How do we navigate this stuff? And we've talked about this. Is it, is it just unlucky? Is it just, is it just life? Is it just chaos? Or is it a sovereign God that, that's, that's moving and, and doing things? And, and I know it's like, it seems so trivial to say, all things for your good. And you're like, that sounds great, but where's the good, right? Turn over to um, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. If, if uh, Most of you are probably familiar with this story, but Joseph is sold by his, I mean, not sold by his brothers, he's tried to, they, they try to murder him, and then they end up selling him into slavery, and and he's and he's gone and like he's his his father his family thinks he's dead and Joseph is by himself he's picked up and he's basically enslaved and then he he becomes somebody in Egypt and makes his way and stuff but listen to what he says in verse 20 and and ultimately the end of this like there's this reunion and and, and his brothers and his dad like come back because they needed Egypt um, because there was a drought and famine and all this stuff and they come back and Joseph ends up being the one that like is able to rescue them. But it's not Joseph. Listen to what he says. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Just pause there for a second. Joseph life, Joseph's life was not good for a large part of it. I mean, he made his way and he ended up becoming successful in Egypt, but, but for a long time, I, imagine what Joseph's nights were like, knowing that his, he lost his family and his brothers tried to kill him. And that, those are dark nights, for sure. 
But listen to what Joseph's perspective is. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. It wasn't for Joseph. I mean, sure, Joseph got the the pleasure of being used by God, but I got to imagine that that's, at some times, that's not a a great (laughs) attribute. I mean, it is, but it doesn't feel good, right? And so here's Joseph saying, it wasn't for me, it wasn't for Joseph. He's like, it's that, it's that many people would be saved. Like, like God was orchestrating these things from eternity past and moving things in, in the right places and allowing unspeakable, horrible things to happen. Ordaining horrible things to happen. Allowing whatever word you want to pick. Don't try to protect God here. He's sovereign, okay? He allowed these things to happen. God could have stopped it from happening. Could he not? He could have stopped Joseph's brothers. He could have given Joseph a great life, nice and smooth the whole way through. It's not what God elects to do. But look at Joseph's perspective. What was his life about so that many people would be saved? And and forget moving that thing forward into Moses and and the Exodus and everything that was about to come, right? Like, Like, this was just one little piece that Joseph didn't even realize how fundamental he was in God's sovereign plan to rescue humanity. But this is how God works. This is, this is in, this, in the middle of this Old Testament narrative, right? Genesis is 50 chapters, and you're just reading stories after stories after stories, right? It's not just a, a bedtime storybook. And so that we get these truths of how God works. You see, at the end of this, it is for Joseph's good. Because what does Joseph get? Joseph gets to participate in the rescue plan of God. You guys, like, how is it that we busy ourselves with so many things? And God's like, I want you to participate with me in the eternal salvation of souls. And we go, how about tomorrow? I got something going on today. That's the joy and peace and contentment that we're going to find littered throughout Romans here as we, as we start stepping through this. And so, so here's the thing. As we, as we read these verses, we very clearly see God electing, making decisions, and doing these things with people, right? He, this was Joseph's lot. This was God's plan for his life. You, you can go read throughout a lot of the Old Testament prophets, like... <laughs> Not, not good lives. Read Ezekiel. That one was a really rough one. And, and so, but God calls them to do these things to accomplish his purposes. And so, and I'm going to continue to leave this, and this is for your own digging and pursuit to understand and to try to fathom an unfathomable God. But if God can do those elections and decisions and make those things happen in in our temporal world, in our lives, might he be doing the same thing eternally? And and that's a tough question. And as we read these verses this morning, there's definitely a shift into a sight of eternity. And what does that mean for us? I don't know. It's complex. And I'll continue to stay up here and go, I, I'm, I'm nervous preaching these things because, because those things are open-handed things. How does God actually save and what does is, what is eternal life look like and how does God give that to us? I don't, I don't know. I don't know that we can know. But we can know that God is sovereign, that he's loving. And we're going to see Paul dissect pieces of that as we walk through this this morning. But Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 1. I mean, if, if God chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if he, if he chose to harden Pharaoh, if he, if he chose this lot for Joseph, 
Could he not be choosing the same things for us eternally? That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. His will. According to the purpose of his will. Like, he's making decisions. And somehow we're wrapped up into that. In one way, shape, or form. If you turn over to John chapter 6, verse 44. Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Joseph's brothers didn't act. I mean, they acted on their own accord. But did God ordain it? Yeah. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. But did God use it? Did God harden it? Yes. It's confusing, isn't it? (laughs) That should give us humility. (laughs) The fact that you... We can't understand, and I know some of you in the room are like, I, I know exactly how to connect these dots. And, and maybe you do. But I think there's a humility to say, there's pieces of this that I, I don't understand. And that's okay. We can still worship God. In fact, I would argue we worship God maybe a little bit better when we can't understand it. So let's jump into our verses this morning. Romans chapter 9, verse 22 and 23. Paul starts off and he says, What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory? Very symmetrical statements. It's a very, right? Like, it's very poetic. And we're just going to break this down. So first, Paul starts off with what if. Paul is not postulating here. This is not a what-if statement in the sense that we would think of it. In fact, the word what isn't there, okay? In fact, if you, if you know another language, really English throws in the word what, everybody else just puts in punctuation, right, um, in general. Um, and so what that actually says is and if. Um, it's, it's, it, it, but translations are mixed on that. But here's what we know. Paul goes on. He doesn't, <laughs> he's not, He's not thinking about different options, about like how God plausibly might have acted. That's not, that's not how God operates in, in Scripture, right? Paul, Paul goes on to tell, to declare truths. And so he's not saying, well, what? You know, maybe, maybe God did it this way. Maybe God did it this way. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, and if he did this, then we know this. Okay, make, make sense? So it might, might be a little bit better to use the word and there in order to get us to the, the context of what he's describing. All right, so we just talked last week about the vessels, right? Doesn't the potter have the right, the potter being God, the right to make vessels for honorable pur- purposes and vessels for dishonorable purposes? And you can read that up further up in the verses uh, if you'd like. And so he keeps that vessel's word, and he, and he brings that forward. So we're talking about the same things, okay? So the vessel's that he mentions in verse um, uh, 22, vessels of wrath. Those are the vessels for dishonorable purposes. And the vessels of mercy are the vessels of honorable purposes. Okay, so that's, that's where he's operating here, okay? So vessels of dishonor are vessels of wrath. Vessels of mercy, or sorry, vessels of honor are vessels of mercy. But there's another description in here that probably made all of us squirm a little bit, right? And we continue to read things where we're like, ah, how do I deal with this? What does he say? He says that the vessels of wrath are prepared for destruction. Okay, we just went from temporal to eternal. Destruction. He's talking about eternal destruction. Turn over to... Um, what do I have? Second Thessalonians 1 9. 
Paul describes this. He says, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. He's talking about hell. He's describing what this looks like. And so he says these, these vessels of dishonor are vessels of wrath, and they're prepared for destruction. Okay? And, and what, was, what did it describe there in 2 Second, uh, Second Thessalonians? Destruction, eternal destru- destruction was away from what? The presence of God and his glory. That's the, that's the opposite. Okay? So then what are the vessels of honor? Are the vessels of mercy? And what does it say? They are prepared beforehand for what? Glory. God's presence. Okay? So here's so this is the dilemma. So we 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 started with this temporal, right? God's using people and doing things uh, in order to accomplish his grand purposes. And now all of a sudden it seems as though he's broadened that into an eternal perspective. Okay? This is the challenge. Because now we go, what does that mean then? If, does this mean that God created vessels, the, the potter, right, formed up a vessel for dishonor that is a vessel of wrath that is prepared for destruction? What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, what does that mean? I mean, from a very simple perspective, we can each ask ourselves, what are we? Are you a vessel for honorable purposes or a vessel for dishonorable purposes? And this ties right back into exactly what Barry was just talking about. What's the purpose of our lives? That's the difference. You guys get this. This isn't just theology. I'm not up here just teaching random theological truths. The question is, is, is your life, are you a vessel for honorable purposes and God's purposes in this world? That's for you to know. I would challenge you. Think about that. Dwell on that. What does that mean? What are the implications of that? And in a very real sense, if that's not what you would say you are, what does a life, what does vessels of dishonor, ignoble, normal, I don't know if I dissected that last week, but that, that word dishonor, dishonorable, is like normal. Like, like there's nothing special about it. It's still there. It's just, it's just, it's just normal. It's things that you don't think about. Things that aren't really purposeful. There's two words here. And if you notice this, if you've got your Bibles open... He says, prepared beforehand, uh, sorry, prepared for destruction, and then it probably says prepared beforehand for glory. Those are two totally different Greek words, okay? So I know in English we read prepared, prepared. No, that's not it. They're different words. This is really important because as you walk through this, you, you would go, okay, well, then it, it seems. I will tell you, everybody agree that first word, prepared for destruction, is like fitted. They prepared it for themselves. They earned it. That's what it means. They earned it. Like they have, they have made their beds, right, to sleep in. That's kind of an older expression, so the younger kids might not get that, right? But like, like you made your bed. Like this is where you got to sleep. Or you didn't make your bed. This is where you got to sleep, right? Like, but this is, this is the, the perspective that, that it's describing here. And I'll try to pronounce the word. Ketartizo is the word, the Greek word that actually communicates that. And then the other one, the one that says prepared beforehand, the reason why commentators or translators put in that word beforehand is because it is a different word. They're trying to communicate that there's a difference between these. And honestly, everybody agrees that that first one means you earned it. There's no, there's no real disagreement between that, whether... Whichever side you are on the, on the whole election debate, everybody agrees that, that that clearly means like you earned your own destruction. Like you, you have prepared your own path for destruction. But the other word, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. Anyway, it's another word. Um, trust me, it's different. You can go Google it. Go look at Blue Letter Bible or something like that. Um, 
It's a different word, and it, and it means prepared beforehand, ordained. <laughs> ordained for glory. So this is where you start, you start looking at these things, and you're like, you've got these vessels of dishonor and God's wrath, and they're, they've, they've made their path for destruction. They've spent their time on ignoble things. They've spent their time on ordinary things. They've spent their time on worldly things. And so there is eternal destruction, away from the presence and glory of God. And the others ordained living out God's sovereign plan in their lives, being used for honorable purposes in the presence of God's glory. Perhaps it's so that what we read in Ephesians 2.8 can be a reminder to us. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You see, this is the rub. This is the difficulty, right? If, if, if this side is, not, not you guys, but like, if on, on a timeline here, right? If hell is over here, if hell is here, and heaven's here, right? The, the people that are going to hell, they've, they've fitted themselves. They've prepared themselves for this. They've worked at it. That's basically what he's saying. And those over here did not work at it because then they would boast about it. So you are not saved by your works. Do you see that it's, it's a dichotomy? And this is the mystery. This is a confusion. Well, if, if I earned this, don't I earn this? Or if I didn't earn this, then I didn't earn this. There's no third possibility. We, I think we all agree with that. You see the, the complexity to this. And what, what Scripture tells us here is that you earned this, but you don't earn this. That's what he says here. That's why we have these two different words. Fitted, prepared yourself for destruction, ordained for glory. But why? Why does Paul say all this? He says this because we are part of God's purpose. Regardless of where you stand on this, you are part of God's purpose. You are. Here's the ironic part. Whether you want to be or not, you are. You just get to pick, kind of. Well, that just kind of, anyway, whatever. Anyway, we're moving past that. Ignore that. Strike that from the record, right? Like, it's very, I got to really select my words well during this. All right. So, but like, that's, that's the point, right? Like, like, Joseph saw what was happening, and we're going to walk through this, and you get to see and have joy and contentment knowing that you are fulfilling the purposes of God, and you have joy in your life, and on the other hand, you're fighting and fighting and fighting a sovereign God, but he's using everything that you're doing to accomplish his purposes, regardless, regardless. All right, it says very clearly here, so we'll go back to verse 22, and we're just looking at the last part of this. It says that God endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, verse 23, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy. That's what God is trying to accomplish, okay? There's brackets there. So the last half of 22, the first half of 23, there's an in order to in the middle of that. God's doing one thing in order to accomplish another thing. So what is he doing? And we're going we're gonna to kind of step through these things because it doesn't sound fun. It sounds very scary, very humbling before a sovereign God. What does it say? It says, God wants to uh, show his wrath and make known his power. That's his objective, to show his wrath. Why does, why does God want to show his wrath? Because he's just like, he wants people to know how angry he can get? No, to reveal that he is a just God. Why did God pour out his wrath on his son, Jesus Christ? That was 
for our justification, right? To show us that he is a perfectly just God, okay? So God's sovereign, God's loving, and those are the only two attributes of God. God is just. He is perfectly just. And so his wrath being poured out is demonstrating that he's just. He doesn't just let people do whatever they want to do without any sort of punishment or discipline or anything like that. That's not how God works. God is involved. We saw that last week. God is highly involved in our lives. But what else does he want to do? He wants to show his wrath and to make known his power. God wants us to see him as a sovereign God. So this is why he acts. This is why he does what he does. Now, what does he do? Right? Then the back half of verse 22. He's endured with much patience vessels of wrath. Okay, help me here. God enduring with patience vessels of wrath shows his wrath. That's, that's what that just said, right? He, he wants to show his wrath and he wants to show his power. So what does he do in order to show his wrath? He endures with patience vessels of wrath in order to what? Show the riches of his glory to the vessels of mercy, right? And so, so what is he doing? He's... He's not, he's patient with them. You guys with me here? You guys tracking? All right, I'm trying to step through this because Paul's making a very clear argument. It just takes a little bit of time to kind of work our way through it. It seems odd, doesn't it? Like if you want to show somebody your wrath, you'll just show them your wrath. You wouldn't patiently withhold it. What is he talking about? See, he's talking about his final and full wrath. He's talking about the judgment. And so in patience, what does God do? He endures the vessels of dishonor, the vessels of wrath. He shows them little bits of wrath. We saw this before. Idolatry leads to immorality. God turns us over. We saw this in Romans chapter 1. God gave them up. God gave them up to the desires of their flesh. God gave them up. It's the same thing. He's going, like, you can go this route. You can go live a life of ignoble purposes. You can go live a life, enjoy the world, live for yourself. And you're going to feel the wrath of God. You will. You will sit there and you will wonder and you will try to figure it out and fight against it but you will feel the wrath of God, but God will endure your existence. He will not smite you. You will not be extinguished. You will not feel the full wrath of God until what? Judgment day. And so God shows his wrath by giving little bits and tastes of that to the vessels of wrath. Why? I think so that they become vessels of mercy. <laughs> I think it's so that they go, man, this is my just dessert. I don't want this. I don't, I don't want this wrath of God. I want to be with God. I want to, be in, I want to enjoy God. Like, right? Like, hopefully, it's corrective. As, as children of God, we know that everything God does with us is not wrathful, but discipline. It's different, right? He does not punish us. That's different than what he does with the world. And so he shows them this wrath. He endures them so that they would understand just what the full measure of wrath. And there's a corollary to this, because look at what he says. To make known the riches of his glory to vessels of mercy. If you're a follower of Christ, that's you. Right? If we're following Christ, if we're living out our life, and we're, and we're pursuing God's kingdom... And we're not distracted and doing all these other things, but we're, but we're pursuing God's kingdom and we're, we're sharing the gospel and we're, we're proclaiming the truth and we're rejoicing in who Christ is and what God has done for us. If, that's, if that characterizes our life, then guess what we get? We don't get our full glory, do we? What does it say? We're changed from glory to glory to glory to glory. We will have our final glory when we're in the presence of God. But what do we get now? Little bits and tastes and pieces of it. That's the gift for us. That's the joy. That's the peace. That's the contentment that we get here now. 
And hopefully you all have experienced that. If you're not a follower of Christ, God has that for us right now. Because when we confess and trust in Jesus Christ, what happens? He adopts us. He gives us his Holy Spirit. We've walked through this in Romans. And what ends up happening now, as we're living our lives, as we're struggling through all the chaos and things that are going on around us, we have joy and peace and contentment. And we, we get little tastes of that. And what does that do? It causes us to long for the full measure of that, which is in the presence of God in eternity. Do you see the parallel here? He's saying like the vessels of wrath get little bits and tastes of wrath because in the future they're going to have the full measure of God's wrath. And for us, we get little bits and tastes of God's glory. And in the future, we'll get all of God's glory. You see? This is what he's describing as he walks through there. Now, notice that it says the riches of God's glory. Man, if there couldn't be something that is more counter to our ordinary human pursuit, it's that. Because what do we do? Man, we pursue riches. <laughs> oh, we pursue riches. We pursue riches outside of God's will or just with, without any consideration for God, right? We, we look for actual riches like, like houses and things and, and, and things that move us around <laughs> and stuff and luxuries, and we pursue riches. And what, what, what does he say here? Riches of his glory. Those are, those are different riches, you guys. The only thing that's worse than pursuing riches without God is pursuing riches by God, using God to pursue riches. That's even worse. You see, there's, when we live our lives as vessels of mercy, when we live our lives pursuing God's kingdom, we get a joy and a peace in all of those circumstances that allow us to not be shaken, to trust in God, to increase our faith. And not just ours, but for those around us that see us walking through these things. Right? When we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and people watch our faith in our God. That's why Joseph can say, it's so that many would be saved. It's not just about me, but God does want to use me. He wants to use all of us. That's the incredible thing. God didn't have to use us. We're, we're a sorry bunch of people to be used. We're pretty unreliable, pretty fickle, a little too emotional. And God chooses to use us. Why? It's for our good and for his glory. That's what's incredible about this. So it says in verse 24, Paul summarizes, and this is an expression that gets used every once in a while. It says, even us. And I know it sounds weird. Um, and honestly, like, I don't know. I think we've just relegated ourselves to translating it this way. But he says, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. He's basically saying, like, all of that applies to us. Like, when it says even us, it's saying, like, and specifically for us. And, and that means for us. That, that's what that that's how that gets interpreted, okay? So I know it, when we read that, it, it's, it's weird, but, but that's what he's saying. So, he's, so Paul's going back to what he was saying at the very beginning, right? He's been taking this whole thing. His whole question, beginning of chapter 9, was, well, what, what do we do with Israel? Like, what's going on with Israel? And, and, and how, you know, not all of them are saved. Not all of them have believed the Messiah. So how do we understand God's sovereignty in this? And Paul's walking us through, and he's like, don't you question God's sovereignty? And that's what he said, right? It's like, who are you to question God? He is moving and he is doing things. And then Paul just starts laying it out. Like, I feel like Paul is like a prosecution <laughs> attorney here. And he's going, how can you say that? What about this? Look at this. Look at this. Look at how God does this. Look at how he does this. 
right? And, and the intent is that us as the jury are like, uh, okay, yeah, you're, you're totally right. We're, we're, we're wrong on that one. And this is what he's saying. And he's like, this applies to the Jews and the Gentiles. Doesn't matter who you are. This applies to all of humanity. Are you a vessel of mercy or are you a vessel of wrath? Are you a vessel used for honorable purposes or are you a vessel that's being used for dishonorable purposes? That's an or. You see, it's our life it's his purpose. It's our life. You got it. It's yours. You got one. It's his purpose in your life. And this is what Paul's going to do now. He's going to give two examples. And these are just like crushing examples. So hang with me, okay? I'll read uh, verses 25 and 26. He says, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not Beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. You know, I have always misinterpreted this verse. <laughs> because I always read that as Paul saying, the Gentiles are going to be called my people. That's what I thought, but it, that's not it at all. <laughs> and what do you got? You got to go back to Hosea, okay? So we're going back to Hosea chapter 1. Could be a, uh, a table of contents search here. <laughs> if only I had a bookmark on. There we go. Um, but you gotta understand Hosea. Um, And the prophets in general, but Hosea is one that uniquely hits home. God calls Hosea to marry a prostitute who's going to be unfaithful, and he knows she's going to be unfaithful. And God says, I want you to marry her. And he says, I want you to have kids with her. And I want you to name those kids not my people. <laughs> That's the other name. <laughs> No mercy. Those were, those were his daughter's names. And, and we read this story, and we read it so quickly. And we're like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, cute. I get that, God. I get the no mercy, not my people. He's, he's using Hosea and his relationship with Gomer, who's, who's, who's uh, a prostitute and, idol and, and, like, adulterous and, like, you know, to... to uh, as a metaphor for God and Israel, right? And, and so just like Israel is adulterous and idolatrous towards God, so is Gomer towards Hosea. And Hosea is like God, and he's like redeeming and, and loving her despite her. That's great, but that's, <laughs> that's bad for Hosea. Who's thinking about Hosea? Poor guy. I mean, seriously. That's a rough life. It's not one that he would want. When God comes to you and says, hey, I need to use your life. And it's going to be rough. What do you say? No, no, no. It's my life. God goes, it's your life. It's my purpose. You can, you can pick which way you go, but I'm going to be using your life for my purpose one way or another because I'm what? A sovereign God. Hosea went through it just like many of you are. And, we, and you can go through all of them, right? You go through Job. I mean, that, that's the usual one that people go to, right? Like, like you read these stories and you're like, why would God allow something like that to happen? Our good and his glory. It's the best I can answer. It's what scripture says. And so here's, here's Hosea that's, that's going through this. And look at what it says in Hosea chapter 1, verse 10. And this is what Paul quotes. 
Wait, hang on. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Hosea 110. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And so Paul points to this. He says, this is Israel, and they're called not my people. In other words, they rebelled. They turned away from God, and God called them, you're not my people. And then he's going to what? Show mercy on them. And he's going to call them his children again. That's why Paul is pointing to this. Because they became what? Vessels of wrath. They went into Assyrian exile. They were judged. They got doled out on them some portion of God's wrath. This was, this was God's discipline for them. And so this is what Paul is pointing to. He's saying, look at what happened. Look at what happened in Hosea. And listen uh, in Hosea chapter 13, verse 11. He says, I gave you a king in my anger, and I took him away in my wrath. And uh, it's not for us to get into the historical context. By all means, go and dive in and, and get. But what's he saying here? God's making decisions. He's doing things. Sovereign things, wrathful things. Why? For what purpose? Look at 14.4, Hosea 14.4. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. You see, God's a loving God. He's not just, just sovereign. He is sovereign, and he's loving, and he's just, and he shows wrath. And he shows anger. Why? For the redemption and rescue of humanity. His perfect, sovereign will to accomplish these things. And then look at what it says in 14.9. This, this is probably one of the best ending verses to, I don't, know if, I don't know if I can say all the books, but at least the minor prophets. He says, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. And the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. You see, the sovereignty of God is nothing to toy around with. We can walk in them, or we can stumble in them. Those are the two options. You can, you can curse God and say, it's not fair that you're doing this with my life. It's not fair that these circumstances are going on. Or you can say, God is right, and I will humbly walk this path. Honorable purposes or dishonorable. You see, regardless, we are rescued by a sovereign God. And this is what Paul makes in verse 27, he says, And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 10. And this we, we touched on a little bit uh, with the Assyrian exile. And that's what he's talking about here. Um, what it says in Isaiah 10, verse 20. It says, In that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. Destruction is decreed, overflowing with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts will make a full end as decreed in the midst of all the earth. And so Paul is pointing towards God's sovereign plan and mercy towards Israel. That, that he could have wiped them out. Right? We're going to see that at the very end here. But instead, what does he do? 
He says a remnant of them is going to be saved. So they got taken into exile in Assyria, right? But not all of them came back. Some left. Some, some never came back. And he says only a remnant is going to be saved. You see, Paul, Paul points to this because he's pointing towards God's sovereign purposes, that he wants to show mercy, and he does show mercy. And then look at verse 29. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have become like Sodom, or been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. It's God that shows us mercy. At the end of the day, we are wholly, entirely dependent upon God. And it's his mercy alone that rescues us. It's his plan that he accomplished through his son to save us. And that, that's what we look at. And so when we look at God's sovereignty, I know we get, we get mixed up and we get, we get kind of muddied into the exact hows and whys and, and things of that nature. But what we can rest on and we can know is that God wants to reveal himself to us. That's why he gave us scripture, right? He wants us to know these pieces and parts. He wants us to know how he sees our lives. He wants us to know that we are used by him. He could not tell us any of this stuff, but he chose to. Why? Because he has joy and peace and contentment for you. And for me, he wants us to know that. He wants us to know that he is a just God. He wants us to know that he's sovereign, and he wants us to know that he loves us. That's why we call it good news. That's why we call it the gospel, right? Because without God doing this, without God sending his son, without Jesus willingly sacrificing himself, we are stuck with our sins. And God, in his sovereign purposes from all eternity past, has gone, you have a sin problem. You have a rebellion problem. You don't like me. You like you. You want to do your things. You want to live an ignoble life. You want to live an ordinary life. And he goes, that's not why I created you. I created you to live a beautiful, amazing, glorious life for me. And that's the best thing for you. If we would just believe him. Because that's what he calls us to. Let me pray.